What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, towing the line. The Red Wings lose by a skate blade, preventing a winning night from becoming a big one. Breaking down last night's busy slate of games, evaluating the bets we made on five, would we do it again? Especially since we can do it again tonight, with a handful of rematches on the schedule, including an interesting handicap in Vancouver. Plus, Ted Ballantyne is back to try to explain what the Super League is supposed to be, as we can see Euro 2020 coming for some summer soccer betting action. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Ted Ballantyne, our boy, is going to join us here in a little bit to do a little soccer review on what exactly is going on. He's going to explain that to me uh, like I'm five years old. But first... As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Thank you very much, Laszlo. Last night, big night in the NHL. Had a lot going on. Felt like one of those nights that, again, story of this season, when do we get the big night, right? We're sort of churning along here, up a unit, down a unit, up a unit, down a unit, et cetera, et cetera. You know, overtime losses, overtime losses, shootout losses. And so it's all very sort of story of the season where we end up with a profitable night, but it felt like something that could have been four or five units on uh, on the plus side. And, of course, it started with Tampa Bay and Carolina, a Action Network preview that I had written for this game um, about the total and sort of the concept of using expected goals for when um, sussing out, you know, trying to figure out and handicap a total. Because these numbers are always going to be, what, six Right, five and a half if you have sort of a reputation or the analytics for being a lower scoring team or you know combination of two teams versus maybe a six and a half if you have a reputation for being a high scoring team, maybe playing a little loose from a defensive standpoint. And so Tampa Bay and Carolina, you know, five uh five point five is the number. And he talked about how in the games that they've played this season, their expected goals at even strength was well over four. On average, it means all you need essentially is one or two power play goals, um, maybe a you know better than average expected goal rate, even you know from a conversion standpoint, right? Because we have you know these 4.5, for example, expected goal totals, and they only end up scoring three goals. Well, it's possible for somebody to score six goals for you know two teams to combine for six goals if they had only four and a half expected goals for. So there's a lot of leeway when you have that many goals. So you know, five and a half total, if your expected goals for at even strength is close to four and a half, that's pretty close to getting all the way to the total there before we even talk about power play, you know, maybe a shorthanded, even empty net type of goal. And of course, that's the difference in this game from a total standpoint. Talked about it yesterday. If the number got down to minus 115, minus 110 for Tampa, that'd be worth the play there. So we ended up on both sides of this game. I shouldn't say both sides, but two different bets on this game with the over five and a half and Tampa on the money line. And so, you know, Tampa goes and they win in overtime. So everything ends up sort of all's well that ends well from, from that game's perspective. But from the total perspective, you know, three goals in the first half of the game. So you've got a decent pace at least going from that standpoint. Carolina comes back to tied at two. And now you get into game situation, right? And when you have a total at five and a half or six, you know, when we're talking more of along the lines of a push, 
you know, we're kind of hoping maybe there's an empty net goal type situation. Obviously, 2-2 going to overtime doesn't help us when it comes to the over. And Peter Morazic was the difference in this game. And he essentially stole the over, right? You can steal a hockey game for a team. You can steal a win away from another team. And he came up just short of being able to do that in part, of course, thanks to Tampa Bay getting two early goals in, uh, I believe both goals were in the first period, if not early on in the second period. So he ends up stealing the over by making some critical saves that stop Tampa Bay from taking a 3-2 to two lead before late game, you know, empty net tomfoolery, right? So, you know, we've got this 5.5, and, and part of the plan is for one team or another, when we're talking strictly about the total, obviously when you have Tampa Bay on the money line, you're hoping Tampa Bay takes the lead. You're just hoping for some team to go up three to two because now you're getting, you know, especially this day and age, you get the two, two and a half minute goalie pull situation, which of course leaves the net wide open for a four, two victory, but it also increases the possibility for a three, three tie to head into overtime and already cash the over. So again, all we need is that one more goal and Morazic, you know, makes a series of saves, one of which was absolutely outrageous as he goes sliding you know, feet first, pads first across the goal line. Uh, real great attempt on a no-look backhand shot by one of the Lightning players. Forget who it was off the top of my head. But, you know, he does exactly what you'd want to do with Mrazek out of the play. But Mrazek dives his way or slides his way back into the play and kicks it off of the goal line. Literally a, you know, sort of pucks width away from going into the net and having Tampa Bay go up 3-2. And you go, okay, well, that's still just only 3-2. But, of course, then that sets up, you know, two, three minutes of empty net pressure, all of that sort of stuff. So you're probably, again, getting either a 3-3 or a 4-2 finish when it comes to these teams. But, of course, if we don't get that, he makes the save. Really just brings back the under into play with that kick save. And we end up splitting that game in uh, in reality. Uh, and then we have our two underdogs, right? We talked about this yesterday, how let's take these two at plus 200. And hopefully we can hit one. And we'll start with Florida and Columbus here. Uh, Florida 2.53 actually probably should mention Tampa Bay was full value for that victory by the way 2.22 to 1.39 and the expected goals for 13 to 6 in high danger chances at even strength but as for Columbus and Florida 1.84 goals expected goals for for Columbus well they had two so that's about right uh, and then Florida 2.53 they end up with three goals 10 to 6 for Florida and the high danger chances so again Florida the better team at even strength they convert two out of those 10 so again a little bit better than average Columbus one out of six so not quite the rate that Florida had and so this game is a 3-2 game this does get the empty net goal for anybody who had over five and a half though I'm not sure if that was even the number it might have been a six for a push uh, but again you know we're, we've got that at plus 200 Florida takes a 3-1 lead so you can't you know beat yourself up or, or you sort of can't complain necessarily about not getting home with the big underdog but they played them well enough that you know on certain days this might have worked out a little bit better the one where we do have to have some complaints here is Detroit and Dallas now again a little bit different in this case Dallas 2.33 to Detroit's 1.33 in expected goals for so a full expected goals for five on five situation you know better than Detroit 
and Detroit has, uh, you know, converts two out of four high danger chances, whereas Dallas converts just one out of nine. So from, again, a metric standpoint, Detroit very fortunate to get that game into overtime. And as you're watching it, this is where the sort of metrics match up with the narrative or the eye test, if you will. As you're watching it, you are, you know, thinking, my God, we just got to get out of here. Uh, just got to get into overtime for some three-on-three three or the shootout. That's going to be the Detroit Red Wings' best opportunity to win this game. Sure enough, that was the case. Uh, Detroit, you know, we get into the shootout, 1-1, getting into the fourth and fifth shooters. And then Evgeny Svechnikov, brother of Andrei Svechnikov of the Carolina Hurricanes, he goes in and puts a fine deke on Anton Gudobin, but doesn't get the puck up over Gudobin's pad. I don't think he thought the pad was even going to be an issue because Gudobin just gets his toe over there in time. You could sort of see on the replay that he probably thought he could just jam it in before Kudobin got across. No, Kudobin gets the stop with the toe save. That would have ended the game right there because Detroit was the last shooting team in the shootout. Of course, he kicks that aside just barely, you know, absolutely insane save um, and incredibly close, you know, and when you watch these games, and again, we always talk about when we look to history, you know, when we tally up the record at the end of the season, there's never going to be sort of an asterisk and then a follow-up to see, oh, well, Detroit lost in a shootout when they were plus 205 against Dallas when, you know, Anton Kudobin made a crazy toe save. Like, that's not going to be factored in. Unfortunately, it's just going to be a minus one on the ledger. Uh, you know, it already is, looking back to yesterday, right? And so only, that's why we talk about the difference between listening to the podcast, understanding how to make good bets, understanding what's a good bet, what's a bad bet, how did, you know, did we get lucky, did we get unlucky, all of that sort of thing, and learning for your own process so that you can do that on your own and evaluate how you're doing things, whether you're on a hot streak or whether you're on a cold streak or whether you're on one of these weird things where we're just kind of going up one, down one, up one, down one every day. And, you know, we have evaluated what our record is with regards to a shootout in overtime. Now, again, yesterday we were one and one in a shootout in a shootout or overtime with obviously Tampa Bay winning and Detroit losing. And so we end up even, you know, we're not making up that ground that we've lost. We're six games below 500 on shootouts and overtime, you know, after regulation type play, which again is total coin flip territory, but we have, we don't have a coin flip record and we were hoping to sort of work our way back into their, you know, sort of a positive territory just on overtimes and shootouts. And again, if Detroit, that goal goes in and we end up plus two instead of minus one in that individual game, right? Obviously now we're working our way back. But again, it comes down to a toe save that we'll forget about, you know, in just a couple of days time, I'm sure. So again, bummer that neither of those come through. Then things turn around for us late night as we get into the North Division. Montreal and Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton, you know, the metrics here, you know, I watched this game just about in its entirety. Missed, I would say probably a little bit of the first period. But this game, 2.31 to 1.58. Edmonton, uh, you know, with the advantage and the expected goals, 10 to 6 high danger chances at even strength. So an advantage there as well. And so that's not surprising. What's surprising is I would have thought it would be more because... You know, and again, maybe not all high danger chances are created equal. Obviously, when you're watching a game, and I always sort of make the, you know, comparison to college basketball, when you're watching games like you watch 100 games, you watch 200 games over the course of a college basketball regular season, and you start to understand what is a foul. And 
what I mean by that isn't sort of by the letter of the law, but more just like what referees call. And so we realize things like the referees in college basketball live for calling charges. And so when there's anything close to a charge, we know that it's going to be called a charge because that's just how it works. It's why the Tiger Campbell charge was so frustrating on Herb Jones. I mean, frankly, you could pick one between the two of those guys. And so you know, you know what these things look like. It's the same thing with high danger chances in hockey, right? You know what one looks like when you see it. Now, in some cases, you know, it might be a high danger chance that had more of a chance to go in the net versus one that was, you know, a little bit dicey. One of them was a surefire goal. Let's use Connor McDavid on a two on O, for example, right? When Connor McDavid's coming in on a two on O, if you are betting against the Oilers, you are convinced this puck is going to go in the net. And oftentimes it does, or at the very least, least you're going to get a shot on goal <laughs> in this case and again this is why shots on goal aren't a great uh sort of recipe from a metric standpoint because Connor mcdavid gets a two on oh with i believe it was jesse Pogliarvi, and they kind of blow it right they do the pass back and forth and then mcdavid kind of you know shanks if you will uh the return pass and they don't even get a shot on goal and so that doesn't even go in their shot on goal category, which Edmonton dominated from that standpoint as well. But that is a high danger chance. Now, there's nothing more high danger than Connor McDavid on a 2 on 0 right? Maybe Connor McDavid on a breakaway is more high danger because he doesn't have to worry uh, about appeasing the gentleman who he's skating in with. But the point is, is that the, it wasn't just that 2 on 0 There was a ton of other chances where you just go, oh, yeah, this one's in the net. Except for Montreal got you know, frankly, a pretty cheesy goal with uh, Eric Stahl scoring goal to go up one nothing, And then it was just snake bite, snake bite, snake bite of Edmonton not being able to score through the first two periods of the game. And Carey Price had started the game. That was you know part of the reason we like uh, Edmonton. We're always here for fading Carey Price at this point in the season, in this point in his career. And, um, you know, he gets hurt. Uh, you know, through the first period and doesn't come out for the second period. And now we're going up against Jake Allen. So now the sort of, you know, phrasing here, the sort of framework for the game isn't the what we were looking for at the start of this game. And then Montreal gets the early goal and goes up one nothing, And you're just like, oh my God, we're going to get sort of robbed here as Edmonton gets every sort of glorious opportunity. I don't know why the word glorious and hockey scoring chances has gone so well together over the course of our lifetimes, but there's, you know, nothing more glorious than a scoring opportunity. And so, you know, we're sitting there going, okay, Edmonton, like any time now. And then finally in the third period, there can, it's just basically a firing squad at this point and they finally break through dominate the third period score mcdavid scores a sick absolutely you know ridiculous sort of patented mcdavid goal where you wonder you know how as an adult he's able to play against other adults and sort of just sort of skate through them and they're kind of hopeless in in uh, in trying to stop him uh he scores they end up winning the game again sort of comfortably ish at the end anything that's sort of a two goal game in the end um, and has an empty net goal to make it four to one uh, is certainly comfortable in the end, but again, stressful throughout. But I think Edmonton obviously full value for that victory. And part of that is, and part of that is, you know, did we, did we handicap it correctly? Right. And obviously we didn't know what was going on from a goaltending standpoint, but what does the primary handicap, the primary handicap was that Montreal is a tired hockey team right now playing seven of 11, now eight of 13 with a cross country or almost cross country flight here and sort of no, uh, you know, let up here at any point in time when it comes to their schedule, right? Really heavily condensed schedule. Edmonton, you know, had a huge break. 
um, now playing sort of every second day, and it'll sort of add up for them later on in this stretch that I believe they're on. But the point is, by the time the third period rolls around, like Montreal's kind of got nothing left, and you know we're defending that lead, and it's almost worse when you're trying to um, you know m- maintain a one goal lead than it would be if you were tied or or if you were behind right that level of energy there's sort of a um, tendency if you will to sort of sit back and try to stop the other team from scoring and that's just not going to work or it shouldn't work over the course of 20 to 40 minutes uh, and eventually caught up to Montreal and of course Edmonton wins that game grabs us uh, that unit so now we're sort of even on the day and now Ottawa's left and this is the classic Ottawa situation the classic Ottawa story and it was funny because I'm sitting there waiting and I'm like, okay, they're getting the goaltending. I believe shots were like eight, eight, nine, nine, something along those lines. And I'm waiting to see, okay, Matt Murray seems like he's playing pretty well. And then just as the 10 minute mark is approaching here and we've got, you know, the app fired up and we're ready to hit it live, Ottawa scores with about 10 minutes and like five seconds to go in the first period. And it's funny how whether it's been the other team or a, pa- a penalty happening in that 10 minute range, uh, or just stuff has been happening at, at that 10 minute mark over the course of the Ottawa Senators season so far, I'm not able to get the bet in. And so I'm like, oh, like that sucks. Like I, you know, was just about to do it. We almost, you know, we almost got through it, but normally it's the other team scoring on Ottawa and stopping us from making that bet. But now Ottawa's got the lead. Well, Calgary comes right back and a minute and a half later, they score to tie the game. Now, the market reshifts itself right back because we got a tie game. So it goes back to uh, plus 170, which is essentially what the closing line was. And, you know, I thought that was strange, but I guess I sort of understand it. And so the reason I thought it was strange was, you know, you have an underdog, and this is sort of maybe not chapter one, but chapter two of the How to Bet on Sports, certainly live playbook. Um, You know, if you have the underdog, you want the least amount of time left in the game, right? You want to shorten the game as much as humanly possible. That's why basketball underdogs take enough time off the shot clock, right? That's why we we saw that with UCLA. If you can get the same price for 30 minutes or for 10 minutes than you can for 60 minutes, you're going to want to do that. In this case, it was 50 minutes or 47 minutes. You know, we're getting 47 minutes of hockey where the Senators just have to be one goal better than Calgary. And at plus 170, you know, again, over the course of time, it doesn't have to be a 50-50 proposition. It can be, you know, much closer to 40% of a win probability. And so, you know, the reason I'm not that surprised that the number didn't change all that much is because Calgary was, in fairness, dominating play from a, you know, high danger scoring chance standpoint. And this game ended up being, you know, eight to three in high danger chances for Calgary, but upon sort of closer review, the first period was six to one for Calgary. And so, you know, again, if you're making this live number or you're trying, you know, going back and forth from adjusting it from when Ottawa was up one nothing to this game being tied one one, you're, you know, you should be, I would assume, you know, if you're doing the live numbering, obviously there's an algorithm involved, but you know, the person who's in charge of that at various sports book is probably seeing, okay, well, Calgary has taken, you know, the better of the play here through the first 10, 12 minutes and then through the first period. 
so that this game, you know, probably still should be at plus 170, right? If you're watching a game and we're talking about a 6-1 to one domination and a first period uh, 1.08 expected goals for to 0.53 expected goals for for Calgary, I do understand why they would want to keep that at plus 170. But the key factor here is, is just because that first period went well for the Flames. And I think you'll look, if you looked at the Flames over the course of their season, there's a lot of situations where the first period goes really well, and then it kind of falls off towards the second and third, kind of obviously depending on, um, you know, scoreboard and all of that stuff. But you're sitting there and you're going, okay, like, yes, it's 6-1 to one now, but that doesn't mean it's going to be 6-1 to one in high danger chances in the second period. It doesn't mean it's going to be 6-1 to one in high danger chances in the third period. This thing's not going to end 18-3 to three necessarily, unless, of course, it's Carolina and Nashville on Saturday, in which case it might end 27-4. to like four. Uh, So, you know, you go, okay, well, like, Ottawa can find their sea legs here, and we're still, you know, it's like they survived with a tie. Right, which is kind of again the point of the live betting, whether it's the goaltending stinks or doesn't stink, or whether it's they just didn't play particularly well, right? Sometimes we just purely blame the goaltender. Sometimes we need to blame an Ottawa Senators team that, you know, occasionally has a fair amount of defensive lapses or doesn't necessarily um, show up in full. And so, you know, you go in, you go, okay, it's 1 1 here through whether it's 15 minutes of the game, 20 minutes of the game, but we're still getting plus 170. So I think we have to make this bet because, again, I'm not pinpointing it on the goaltending here. And I expect Ottawa to play a little bit better. Now, play a little bit better in this case kind of means that nothing really happens the rest of the way, right? 8 to 3 on the game, 6 to 1 in the first period means 2 2 in the high danger chances at even strength the rest of the way. So we've got ourselves basically a complete coin flip of a game. But again, that's where the plus 170 comes in. And if we keep having, you know, coin flip situations here for again less than 60 minutes of hockey so if we can keep getting 40 minutes of hockey coin flips at plus 170 we're gonna want to take that every single time and so that's what goes into live handicapping it there because again we needed to see more than 10 minutes to see what was going to happen in this game see how it was going to be played see who was you know who was showing up and who wasn't and giving us a little head start on this game knowing that again the sports books aren't adjusting for this you know however many how much time goes by now if it ends up getting into 10 minutes into the second period halfway through the game it's no longer going to be plus 170 might still be plus 150 obviously stuff will have happened maybe a goal will will have been scored ottawa eventually gets a, a two to one goal eventually get a three to one goal then calgary gets a three to two goal so things are getting a little bit dicey but ottawa ends up hanging on uh and getting an empty net goal and we end up cashing that plus 170 for a profitable night but again we are just a toe away from detroit flipping essentially three units uh in that game for uh, a really big night but we'll take the positive night we'll take the positives from sort of how we're handicapping these games um relative to the prices on the money line as for tonight, Carolina and Tampa Bay, the big headliner game here, you know, the rematch right away. I think this game's an interesting game for a couple of different reasons. One, I'd say I'm back to the well at over five and a half on the goals here. A couple of different reasons. One, Rod Brindamore mentioned that he's looking to use both goalies. They have three goalies, so I don't know if that meant he's cutting one of the goalies or they're going to have a three goalie rotation or what, but the point is, relatively recently off of an injury, uh, you know, quite an extensive injury break for Peter Morazic, doesn't look like he's going to be a net, whether that means Reimer or whether that means our boy Nadelcevic, 
brutal with his name. Um, whether it's with him or the other guy, right? You're not going to get Morazic saving the day. You're not going to get Morazic, um, you know, stopping the uh, the over from coming through. So I like the over from the same reasons. Like even yesterday, you know, a relatively tightly played game was still close to four expected goals. Three point, I believe it was three point six nine, something along those lines for the expected goals five on five. And of course, you had power play goals for each team. You know, so you take those two power play goals, you add on what the expected goals for were uh, at even strength, and now you've got yourself five point six nine. Now, obviously, you can't have five point six nine goals, but nor can you have five point five goals. So we're obviously a little bit closer to six than we would be to five. There just happened to be only four goals in the game before it headed to regulation. So again, bit unlucky. Um, and you could see it from a visual standpoint, from a narrative, you know, eye test standpoint, you could see it with Morazic making that big save and you could see the path to the over kind of falling apart here. Well, if no Morazic is around, listen, maybe Reimer makes the save, maybe our boy Ned, I'm just gonna start calling him Ned. Uh, Ned makes the saves um, that prevent this game from going over, you know, who knows? The big question here is what does Tampa do? from a goaltending standpoint. Is Vasilevsky coming back for a second straight game? Are we at a point here? How much does Tampa care about winning the division? Because, you know, Florida wins yesterday. They take the lead in the division. Tampa fighting around. You know, Carolina, they're all sort of lingering. Obviously, a three-point game helps, you know, not both teams, but at least sort of accumulates for both teams from a standings, uh, points in the standing standpoint. And so, uh, you know, are they going to go to McElhaney? Are they going to go, you know, second game of back-to-back? Do we just give Vasilevsky the break? Because that's more important to us than, you know, certainly not going to be assuring themselves two points just by starting Vasilevsky. But we've seen the difference between Vasilevsky and McElhaney is quite um, large. And I wrote, a, you know, again, went back to the well here from an Action Network preview standpoint, so you can read a little bit more about it. Um, but fundamentally, right, if Tampa is going with McElhaney, you have to bet Carolina. Carolina certainly right now plus 100 to Tampa Bay's minus 120. So essentially the same line as it was yesterday, but I don't think we have as of this, um, you know, podcast publishing, if you will, uh, don't have any, uh, you know, knowledge of whether Tampa Bay is going to go back with Vasilevsky or going to McElhaney. But if they go to McElhaney, um, obviously there's going to be an adjustment and I don't know that you can make enough of adjustment. You know, I don't see that Carolina going to sort of a minus 120 or minus 125 favorite on the road against Tampa, even with McElhaney and net. But I think that's an automatic bet on Carolina if McElhaney goes for them. And I would stick with the over five and a half if Vasilevsky is in the net six. Uh, I'd be willing to even take that if it's McElhaney. Because when we see in, you know, again, don't want to blame him. Um, but when he plays, it just seems like the possibilities uh, of Tampa just kind of phoning one in here, giving up three, four or five goals. Again, not necessarily all his fault. Um, that just sort of rises. And, you know, I think that's because they know as the team is currently constructed that they need to be winning games, you know, and the under, right? Like a Tampa Bay under parlay is probably doing really, really well this season um, as part of a correlation there, right? Obviously not necessarily winning all the time, certainly probably not even winning 50% of the time. But when we're talking about parlays here, obviously it doesn't need to. So again, you know, if we parlayed the under with Tampa Bay yesterday, um, would have been a nice little steal there. So maybe something we look for towards the end of the season, maybe even in the playoffs as well. Obviously, we'll have to see whether Stamkos and Kucherov come back in, uh, you know, in sort of full health, if you will, once the playoffs start. Uh, as for the rest of the Central Division, Columbus and Florida. And so you're saying, what do we do? Do we go back with Columbus? I think Columbus has to be, and again, full-scale effort, like full value for their effort. And again, it was a better effort than a plus 200, you know, 
team, uh, it was, you know, certainly, certainly more of a plus 150 type of an effort if you can sort of, you know, do the math from that standpoint. Uh, Florida, interesting decision tonight going with Spencer Knight, who, again, if you're a really hardcore hockey fan, you'll remember him from the World Junior Championships this past year and backstopping Team USA to that underdog victory uh, over Canada in the gold medal game. He turned 20 yesterday and signed his pro contract after a season with Boston College uh, like a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something along those lines. And it's not like Florida's hard up for goaltending, right? Obviously, Bobrovsky, the nominal, you know, uh, big money guy, um, sort of interesting that they signed him to such a big contract when they had take used a 13th overall first round pick on uh, Knight a couple of years ago. They did that b- before... I believe it was before that they signed Bobrovsky because the draft is before free agency. Um, but I digress. Uh, and then Chris Dreger, who might be better than Bobrovsky this individual season. So, you know, when we're talking about these teams, like how much do they care about the standings and, and, and garnering and definitively garnering points? And I'm not saying that Spencer Knight's going to come in here and lose. Um, it's just a really interesting element here. And so it's obviously an element of uncertainty because, again, 20 years old, might end up being really, you know, really, really good. Might end up being too much for him, right? Not playing a pro game until he's played uh, in the NHL. You know, again, Columbus at this point, are, are they a pro team? It's debatable. Uh, but, you know, this game could go either way. And when we want, you know, when we're talking about uncertainty, we rather the uncertainty come from our underdog, right? We want the goaltender that we don't know that much about for the underdog team, not for the favorite. Now, you know, you're saying, yeah, but we're looking at maybe fading that favorite with the uncertainty of this underdog. Well, you're still not going to win the majority of these bets, um, you know, based on the fact that, again, Florida is that much better than Columbus. So the pricing matters here. Difference is, you know, this price right now, plus 175, I don't think we're going to get to see that plus 200 that we were able to catch a cool bet yesterday. So it's if it's not going to get near 200, it then isn't the same bet. And is that because of Spencer Knight's, you know, the uncertainty of Spencer Knight where we've drawn uh, the price down a little bit? That might be the case here for, uh, you know, for Florida. So, you know, at this point until, you know, and listen, I know, I don't know all there is to know about Spencer Knight, but he's certainly not an unknown um, quantity as, again, a guy who was a 13th overall pick in 2019, which for goaltenders, and again, if you're not a hardcore, you know, hockey fan, you know that goaltenders don't really go in the first round and they don't play in the NHL when they're 20. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, are we backing a guy here who is you know, an outlier, 20-year-old rookie goaltender going to play in the NHL. Like, how well is that going to go? Now, again, the answer is, I don't know. Um, So I certainly don't think you can bet on Florida with that level of uncertainty. And again, that's why the price has dipped here. So we'll see where we end up with that. Uh, Detroit and Dallas, I expect Bernier in for Grice. But again, Grice, perfectly fine. Um, You know, he's played well enough that you're not sitting there going like, this guy's terrible, we need Bernier in every single game. I expect Bernier to get the start. I expect Ottinger to get the start for Kudobin, so a different matchup there. Again, but in this case, we're getting the plus 200 again. In fact, you can get a plus 220 out there for Detroit. So I think we have to go back uh, to the well here and, again, fully expect to lose this game. Dallas, you know, my model makes Dallas a 60% favorite here. They're going to win this game a bunch of the time. 
61% um, to be specific. But again, the price on Dallas says that it should be 73% of the time they win this game. The price on Detroit says it should be 69% of the time. Again, so you're getting an 8% edge there on Detroit. And so that's certainly for me, you know, again, not a comfortable bet because again, from a probability standpoint, Detroit's probably going to lose. But it has to be a bet in this case at you know anything over plus 200 uh, between these two teams. And then finally, the you know sort of headliner within the headline, Toronto and Vancouver in the North Division. And of course, you know much has been made, especially over the last 48 hours, about the win um, for Vancouver against Toronto. And listen, I was relatively as muted as I possibly could have been uh, in yesterday's show, sort of celebrating it, if you will. But you know the difference between you know tonight's game and Sunday's game. Well, one we have a little bit more information, right? We know. Um, you know, we already knew that the numbers inflated. The numbers always going to be inflated. Guess what? The numbers inflated again. Okay, that's sort of part one of the equation. And part two then is okay. What are we taking from that first game that we can move forward into this next game? And what we can take is Toronto was much better. And you could sort of say okay for obvious reasons, and that's you know completely understandable. That's what I would say too. Um, but Vancouver got that push, right? They got that sort of in, you know, however you want to sort of, you know, the magic, the inspiration, the sort of intrinsic thing that the sort of never give up concept, right? And that was, I think, um, symbolized by Braden Holtby and some of the saves that he made. Obviously, the save, the you know, poke check kick save that he made that sort of saved the game for them is just an example of that. And so they've proven essentially what they've needed to prove in that game. So are they going to have, and let's use this, you know, sort of hackneyed term, but the desperation, are they going to have that desperation in this second game? Or have they done what they've going to do? Have they, you know, effectively blown their whatever uh, in that first game? And now you've got on the flip side, Toronto, right? And what do we talk about pro hockey, pro sports in general, right? What's the biggest motivator? It's embarrassment, right? And so that's an embarrassing loss. It's in a tremendously embarrassing loss for the Leafs. And so you're going to get the Leafs effort, you know, 100%, all, you know, all of those sort of cliches. You're not going to get the, like, you know, kind of dicking around, um, overpassing, all of that sort of thing. Are you going to get the same game from Braden Holpe? Like, that's probably the last great game that Braden Holpe ever plays in his life, to be completely honest with you, because we know that he's at the back end of a really, really good career. Obviously, a Stanley Cup winning career. So he's not going to be as good. I expect Toronto to be as focused, if not more focused. And that, even if you said that they weren't particularly focused in that game, they had, you know, 65% high danger chance rate, right? 65% of the expected goals, even though I think a little bit higher than that. And so obviously, you know, they have the ability, they have Vancouver with the, you know, lack of a better term, disability, um, no Alex Edler. So you've got a weaker defense that was already strained to an nth degree. You know, the two guys that basically never played in the NHL and, you know, a ton of minutes for the other four defensemen. And now one of those four defensemen is gone. Like, it's going to be incredibly difficult for Vancouver to win this game. So, yes, the number's inflated. And, yes, there's obviously attacks and, and 
you know, we sort of know what we know about this, but it's not going to be minus 400. It's going to be closer to like minus 300, which again, from a money line standpoint, isn't particularly comfortable and isn't something that we should be doing kind of under any circumstances. But if you want to sort of minimize your um, risk, I don't hate minus one and a half. I don't hate minus one and a half at a minus 110, minus 115, you know, sort of standard one unity type bet, right? Like if you lose that unit in, you know, 1.1 units, 1.15 units, it's not the end of the world. I just think that there's a better than 50% chance that Vancouver gets absolutely smoked in this game. And I don't think anybody would blame them at this point, right? You can muster that energy in that first game because again, you know, as much as COVID hit and all of that stuff, like you do have sort of a pent up energy, if you will, for that game. Now, even that pent up energy for that first game out where everybody does, you know, everybody thinks you're going to lose, you know, like even then it still was 35% of the expected goals for like it's not like they used it all to be dominant or they used it all to be you know playing at an even uh, even level with the Leafs they just got frankly you know really lucky and they did so on heart and guile and all of those sort of you know narrative you know descriptors or whatever I just don't know that that's there tonight right business has been taken care of you know stuff has been proven now it's Toronto's turn to prove something and obviously the coaches feel that way as they have booted William Nylander for missing or sort of being late for a meeting uh, yesterday. So he's not going to play. He obviously scored a pretty nice goal in the game the other night. And so, you know, they're not bleeping around here. Four straight losses, all of, you know, all of that stuff here. So I expect Toronto to win the game. And I think if Toronto wins the game, I don't know that it's going to be, you know, we talk about, okay, would you want to lay a minus 200, minus 250, whatever, or would you want to grab something in regulation? Right. So, uh, you know, regulation certainly an option, but even then you're still paying a pretty significant price for Toronto in regulation. That's an option. Minus one and a half is an option as well, because, again, obviously, you know, you get the concept of the empty net goal um, and all of that sort of stuff. So I, this might be the only time all year where I think, you know, minus one and a half is a viable play in a hockey game. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask, ask some, Ted some imp important questions here. Um, about what on earth is going on uh, over in European soccer and how it's going to affect our betting because we've got a pretty big event coming up here next, uh, you know, what, June, I believe, in the next couple months. Um, and don't think that we're not going to be all over that because we certainly are. So we're going to do that right after this quick break. Quick break for a shout out to Timber Truck Designs. I don't know about you, but I'm not handy or crafty. Give me math, give me wordplay, give me a court, field, or ice surface, and I can make something happen. But I do like cool stuff. And James Ambos over at Timber Truck Designs can make you custom wood furniture and art accessories. If it can be dreamed up, he can create it for you. So check out all the various pieces he's done over on Instagram at Timber underscore truck underscore designs and give them a shout with an idea for your home or office. All right, he's back after a week's hiatus for a little Tuesdays with Ted, fresh off getting stabbed in the arm for the greater good of our society, and that maybe, just maybe, one day we'll all be able to play golf again. Ted Ballantyne, how you feeling, pal? <laughs> Hey, I'm feeling good. Um, I, I, I have no side effects to speak of yet. And for those at least who are kind of up in our neck of the woods, uh, anyone listening in the Ontario region or wherever, 
um, you know what? Get on the phone and just call a pharmacy if you're of the age. Because I'll tell you what, I am on a waiting list at several different places, including the place I was just at to get my shot, where they are also literally taking walk-ins as we speak. So these waiting lists, I'm sure they work eventually. But if you're interested, just get on the phone, call someone, and maybe they'll just say, yes, come on in. Yeah, it. I mean, listen, we don't need to get too deep into it, but it is uh, it is quite incredible the um, difference between you know, sort of the idea of getting in line versus they just seem to be standing there with a needle ready to fire uh, at, <laughs> any right. given, uh, at any given my moment. Boy, my boy, Alan, he was ready to fire it off any second. <laughs> there you go. First name basis with him. That's, uh, that's nice. Uh, so as much as we've gone off the rails here a little bit, we do actually have focus. Uh, rare for us, admittedly, on Tuesdays with Ted. Um, you know, simply put, uh, lots going on in the realm of soccer, which is sort of your department and something that we're going to rely on you for here as we get closer to a relatively large event coming this summer. Um, but this Super League business, which has kind of been all over the uh, sports landscape here where you have different people, you know, giving their opinion and people like myself who don't really have an opinion or just sort of um, a little bit, I don't want to say confused by it, but a little bit sort of like, uh, okay, so why are we doing this? Um, by the way, the name Super League um, in, in a sport that has a, kind of a fun uh, vocabulary. We've got, you know, leagues, La Liga, Premiership, Bundesliga, like some very fun stuff. S- Super League feels like a very Americanization type thing. And maybe that's why people have such an issue with this. Uh, but fundamentally, what is this and, and, and why is this? Well, I will say there are a couple European leagues, just like the Premier League. Um, like there are a couple, uh, like in, in, in Spain, like the, the Superliga, like Super League exists over there. It's just when you say it in English, it sounds really stupid. Um, it, you know, very comic booky. Uh, so it, it doesn't get good marketing from the start right there. But this idea is actually very kind of American in its origin. So one thing I think that gets lost in translation when you hear about the Super League over on this side of the pond, as they say, um, is that over there in Europe, not just necessarily soccer or, or football, um, but pretty much all their sports, the whole kind of fundamental foundation of it all is the idea of promotion and relegation, um, which is just essentially sporting accountability. Uh, uh, unlike over here, where you have a league um, of, say, the NFL, MLB, whatever it may be, and there's 30-some-odd teams in each, and those are the 30 teams. And when you come in last place, you kind of get rewarded with a nice, big, high, juicy draft pick because we really value that parity because our leagues are, at the end of the day, a television show. Over in Europe, it just doesn't work right? Like, over there, it's been the same structure for 100 years in pretty much all of these leagues – And the whole idea is to stay in the top league and obviously to win that top big crown. But when you're in the second league, you win, you go up to the top league. You're in the top league, you lose, you go down to the bottom league. This super league idea is almost doubling or tripling down on the opposite of that. So it it would kind of be in lieu of the Champions League that we all know of, right? But the Champions League, of course, you qualify for. Right. So what's happening is some of the biggest teams in Europe – go ahead, Russ. Well, like, was there a commotion when the Champions League was created or was it because of this sort of graduation concept that everybody was okay with it? Like, how are the two things sort of compared? Something like the Champions League has existed for a long time. There's been a European Cup for a long time. 
Um, now, you kind of the name of it changed and the branding of it changed, but the Champions League, uh, the, the linear aspect of it goes back decades. So it's not a new thing. Um, and that's like a big European competition that you have to qualify for has existed for a long time. So what comes with the promotion, the relegation is you have these football federations that they go up as high as FIFA and they go as low as for this point of this conversation, we'll say the football association, the FA in Britain. Um, and with the promotion, the relegation, the way it works, you can imagine revenue sharing is very, very important to the whole structure. Um, mm. it all down to the very bottom when kids play even it's very much a feeder system that is funded largely by these big monster teams right uh and that's just the way it's always been like a payday even back before big tv contracts one of the big bonuses of getting into the premier league is that you get to play liverpool in those two games against liverpool are going to net you a lot of cash right but these big teams these days especially now that you're getting a lot of these owner groups that are you know either from Qatar or America, you know, like Stan Kroenke and uh, like the, the, the Fenway sports group. Um, mm. They don't really care about that. They don't really care about uh, the systems that have been placed for a long time. And in a way, justifiably so, because they're probably looking at this and saying, listen, um, we provide such a huge piece of the pie. You know, we kind of want the whole pie. <laughs> yeah. And, they want to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to argue um, in a vacuum without any history included that they don't have a justifiable argument in that case, right? right. And so essentially, it's, it, there's so many moving parts and it all gets confusing. Essentially, these big teams want to have a league where they just make the money. Um, and there's going to be no, and a lot of people are worried about, A, the money part is a big deal. What's going to happen to, say, Leicester and Leicester's a big, huge club, right? But they're a club that all of a sudden, if they didn't have these other clubs to compete against, I'll get to that in a second. Um, all of a sudden, they're kind of out of money. And again, there's going to be more moving parts there with TV contracts and stuff like that. But essentially, people are really upset about it because A, they want to make a league um, where there's no promotion, there's no relegation. These teams are just going to be in it always. And that's just against the spirit of the sport. And secondly, there's going to be a whole bunch of money that's not going to be passed down and the rich are getting richer. So that's that's kind of it. Yeah, so I think I hate this just from that rich getting richer type element, right? Because of the uniqueness of pro sports in Europe and like the graduation levels and all of that and how that doesn't really apply here in North America. But and I'm sort of wondering you know, you know why why I would like this, or, or what sports I would like this in in North America, and you know because pro sports are so different, I I don't know that you can even make that comparison, and so strangely I think like the best sport for it would actually be college football, right? Because like it kind of is already that anyway, right? Like it, it's not like college basketball, which would be, I think be the worst sport for it or the sport that I would hate the most if this sort of ever happened because in college basketball, right? We get our Cinderella stories and the teams we've never heard of and all of that sort of thing for the tournament. But in college football, like I already know at least two of the teams that are going to be in the four team playoffs. And I understand like, you know, Clemson playing Citadel is going to earn them some money. And like, that's why we can't have this. And I, and I, and I guess I would be disappointed for Citadel as an example or app state or, or, or whomever um, if they weren't able to get that paycheck for just getting, you know, obliterated by Alabama um, or Clemson, you know, once a year. 
And so, you know, obviously, they're, like from an infrastructure standpoint, that, that's kind of really a bummer. But the sport that I think that almost tried to pull this off, that I actually think would be cool, is golf. You know, they, tr- they sort of tried this where they all realized, like, hey, we're all just kind of here to watch, like, 20 guys. And, like, all these other dudes, because there are so many tournaments, they're all just kind of making money off of us. So, like, you know, do you sort of look at it from a North American perspective and ever kind of go, like, well, this, you know, this league or that league should do this or, or whatever? Is it just too different? And sort of what do you think of my concept of, like, the, you know, where were you when it comes to, like, that golf idea where these guys were trying to sort of separate? Well, it's besides the if – we, if we want to lose the word – amateur shamateur however you want to describe it i think your ncaa football one is the easiest one to compare uh whether i think it's a good idea or not beside the point but essentially the argument you would have against it so the argument that's setting up in europe isn't so much say citadel arguing against it like of course lower level teams are but this would be say you take 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 the 10 biggest teams whatever um it would be those 10 biggest teams versus the ncaa so it would be the actual ncaa themselves super worried about the super league of NCAA football teams because these 10 NCAA football teams forming a super league are breaking away from the NCAA. So Mm. just like UEFA and FIFA and the FA in England, there are no good guys in this soccer thing, but the NCAA obviously wants their money. The NCAA has tons of money and they've been making tons of money off the back of, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, for years now. So this would be like those schools, just like you're saying, being like, wait a minute, we're putting all of our money into this NCAA. And I'm sure NCAA probably sitting on a billion dollars in a cash reserve. And I'm sure Alabama is partly looking at that saying, why? Why? Yeah, like, why, why do we have, reserve? like, I do understand, um, like, and it's, if you can remove yourself from the idea that they have a responsibility to fund Citadel, um, which they only do because they have up until this point, right? right. Um, like they don't, but they just do because that's the way we've done it. If you can separate your mind from the, this is the way it is because this is how we've always done it. Alabama could very justifiably be like, screw you all. We're gone. Um, and, that, and that's essentially what's going on over there. As for the golf thing. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I don't, I don't really understand the PGA's economic relationship with the players specifically um so i would probably want to know more about that before i could compare entirely like i don't know how much control the pga uh, necessarily has you know almost unnecessarily over these guys like i think the ufc would be another example we could go to where you you look at the top guys at least these days um would they be able to break off and just form their own fighting league Maybe I think ten years ago more so, but there there comes a point where the the brands themselves could be bigger than the leagues that they're bound to, and right. that's where the separation could happen. So oh, PGA, okay. yeah, so I just don't know how much these guys are forking over to the PGA. Yeah, I mean the PGA. That's a, like a way bigger conversation. But so the so FIFA and, and UEFA don't like this, but you know fundamentally, like how is it actually going to change? the club play because it's not like these teams are leaving their own specific country. Uh, well, right? see, so effectively, yeah. aren't they still playing the Citadel, if you will? 
<laughs> and this is why and this is why it, it's become maybe like both both sides have really drawn a line in the sand at places that are very far apart from one, one another and they don't necessarily have to be um that's just where they are and that's why this feels like it's so apocalyptic and um, they're so far apart that the whole thing could just dissolve uh, because it's become so controversial or they're so far apart because that is where each side has staked its beginning negotiating point because the beginning negotiating point from the league's perspective, let's say the Premier League specifically in this example, their negotiating point right over here is they are saying to Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Arsenal and Chelsea, if you go into the Super League, we're kicking you the F out. Oh, that is one of the reasons why this is such a big deal, because that's their stance right now. And if that happens, obviously catastrophic, Um, because they don't they don't want to leave the Premier League necessarily. Right. Um, Right. They were playing to keep playing there and they were going to be in the Super League, um, I believe, in in lieu of the Champions League. Um, Now, that's still messing a little bit because. Part of the fun of watching is the top four teams, sometimes top five teams, qualify for the Champions League. If you take that out, then for a lot of people, it's like, what are we watching? Because there's this whole connectivity between competitions um, in the league. And that's going to get messed up for a lot of people if all of a sudden there's this Super League, which the regular league has no affiliation with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's part of the thing people don't like about it because the qualification, like qualification is soccer. Right. Um, in the way it's structured right now. So like it's one of the things where we watch say, you know, my Toronto Raptors won the championship a couple years ago, um, which is great. It's something you never think is going to happen. But then all of a sudden the next year starts and all of a sudden you just keep going. Right. Like it's you you win your championship or you come in last place in the next year, no matter what happens, you just do it over again. Um, And that's just really not the way soccer works. And this Super League would really change for a lot of leagues that that are signing up for it. Um, It it would change that. And also, of course, there's the much publicized uh, UEFA and FIFA are Mm -hmm. going to ban or suspend everyone involved from playing in the world <laughs> cup or the Euro championships, which really sucks for the players because the players and even the coaches, they got nothing to do with this. Yeah. So that was going to be my, my, my last sort of question here is, you know, as we turn our attention here and, and you're hopefully going to be prominently involved here when we get into um, handicapping this whole Euro tournament that starts on June 11th, um, you know, what's the legitimacy to like these players actually getting, you know, removed or banned or suspended or, or however you sort of want to frame it from, uh, from participating in, uh, in, in the Euro, right? Like, and, and where, what is their opinion yeah. on this? Well, well, players, most players that I've seen so far, most of what's coming out, I haven't seen a single player who's like in support of it. Every, no one likes the idea, right? And a lot of it's like we, we're watching pretty much this whole sports culture from afar. Um, and we all seem to think it doesn't sound quite right. Do you know what I mean? The, they are in it. It's all they know. So they hate it. They're like, the players don't like it. The coaches don't like it. So they don't love it. But I think we're going to find out how serious UEFA is about kicking these players out of the Euro this week, because rumor has it, we're going to find out fairly soon whether or not Chelsea, Manchester city. um, And I believe Real Madrid get kicked out of the champions league 
and they're like three of the four teams left in the Champions League. If they get kicked out of the Champions League for this year. So if UEFA is that serious about it and they do that, then we'll be like, okay, they actually mean business because they just blew up their biggest money-making competition. So Mm. both sides are really going to have to put their stake in the ground in a spot that's going to be super unpopular if they want to win. Um, I, and like, it kind of blows me away that this thing has become so serious so quickly, right? Because it is still kind of at its core a proposal. It's a proposal that at this minute is going forward. But it's there, there still are hurdles to clear, but everyone's really – like I saw yesterday, Prince William sends out a tweet. He's like, <laughs> right. like, what? So it's um, – Willie's fired a, up. Like the soccer is not just something they watch. Like it's really baked into their culture. So – and like I say, this thing will really shake the whole foundation of the whole point of the whole thing. So that's why, if you're confused as to why it's such a big deal, um, it would be, you know, relatively similar to us but changing from our parliamentary style government to a republic. Just because, you know, some people who d- don't care about it uh, will make more money. And it would be quite frustrating to a lot of people. But it is, sure. it is still... you. About it, and it's tough to go through all the moving parts. Like another thing that's becoming a big deal is like look at in Canada, um, DAZN paid a ton of money for the exclusive rights to the Premier League and um, Champions League. So for the people listening in the United States, um, like you guys have a lot of boxing on DAZN up here. Our any Premier League or any Champions League we watch is on the DAZN app, and DAZN paid a fortune for it. If they create the Super League and these big teams get kicked out, or if the league just changes and people kind of lose motivation to watch because there's no point, um, they're going to want some money back, and they are probably going to file lawsuits if they don't get it. And that's just disowning Canada. Imagine just like a BT Sport, um, Sky, all these huge, huge international media companies that have paid for the rights to the Premier League from here to China <laughs> right. are all of a sudden going to be a little frustrated with a change in the foundation of what it is they paid billions, if not across the whole world, trillions of dollars for. Right. Okay. Well, uh, your job in all of this is to uh, keep us abreast of what's going on and who's in and who's out for, uh, for Euro 2020, which is of course happening. Can we quickly talk about Triller? Can we okay, okay, okay? Because I know we went, we went longer on Super League, but we could go forever on Super League. But we were also going to talk about Triller. Can we quickly do it? Yeah, let's do it. Go. Okay, super quick. I don't really have that many thoughts on what happened this weekend. Whatever, some some retired out of shape MMA guy gets knocked out by a YouTuber. Uh, Frank Muir is in there somehow. But in in you know, there's an actual boxing match that ends with a fake low blow. Anyway, all the fighting aside. All I know is I didn't watch this one, and it sounds like it was a gong show, and I regret it because it is, from all reviews, a wonderful, fun, communal night of television to watch. Snoop's there. Pete Davidson's there. They're, they're blowing smoke in Dr. Al Bernstein's face at the commentator desk. You got Rick Flair in there somehow. There's an E-40 rap performance. Ice Cube's roaming around. Anyway, all I want to say is I wouldn't touch any of these fights with a 10 foot betting pole next time they air, it's going to be a Vander Holyfield, the trotting out there who doesn't speak well these days. I feel like that's problematic. And it like, but I think next time it happens, we need to set it up just because it sounds like a wonderful night of television watching. Whew. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, 
These are all things in your department uh, that we like to touch on every Tuesday with Ted Valentine. Thanks as Special always, margin. my friend. Stupid, stupid stuff in the margin. That's Ted's things. Yes, no, my pleasure. And uh, we can go over the Super League stuff again because it's all super confusing and it will be evolving day by day. There you have it. Ted's all over it for us. As always, you can subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Follow along at Authentic on Twitter and the Action Network app, the underscore window underscore podcast on Betsperts. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.